1: NBA Most Valuable Player,
2: Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Two seconds. Yes! Chris Middleton. Got, Got it. it! Giannis
0: Antetokounmpo. Hey there, welcome to the Eurostep, a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, proudly a part of the Blue Wire podcast and the Eurostep podcast network We've got an exciting collab episode in store for you today because the Bucks are in the finals. I don't know if you all have heard, but the Milwaukee Bucks are in the NBA finals. I am Ty Windish, one of your Eurostep hosts. I am joined as always by the critically acclaimed Rohan Khadi. Rohan, how's it going?
3: I'm doing well. The initial high of the NBA finals, like we get to cover this, it still hasn't worn off yet. And but it, it's go time. We have to go right
0: now. Like it's it's starting up today. <laughs> yeah, we're here. It's here quickly. And to get ready for it, a crash course on the Phoenix Suns and how this series will presumably look, we've tagged team with the hosts of the Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Mike V Hill and Sam Cooper, the excellent hosts of that pod. We had a long discussion about all sorts of things in this series some big questions Rohan you want to give a quick rundown of some of the big topics we covered
3: yeah like you said we tackle a lot of the big questions we talk matchups we talk defensive schemes we talk adjustments coaching sort of how injuries play into this we we go into everything so make sure you listen to the full full episode
0: listen to the full episode here subscribe rate review if you haven't already then check out the timeline for the other perspective of all of these games i know it can be difficult to do that especially if you're a bucks fan listening as most of our audience is if you're just an nba fan certainly go check them out but even bucks fans they get they do great work one of my truly favorite podcasts to listen to and apparently there's going to be a super cool intro of this same episode so at least check that out great production work on display but yeah we had a long combo. We think you're going to enjoy it. So here it
2: is. All right, guys, I want to start with what I think is the most obvious question for this series so we can just get it out of the way uh, from from the beginning here. And that is how how will health factor into this series? And I think this is sort of the, the story uh, in a lot of ways of the entirety of the season and the playoffs in general. Uh, and just injuries in general. Like At this point in the season, everyone's playing with something. Chris Paul just had a MRI on his wrist. Uh, here's a stat. Devin Booker, before breaking his nose, had a 61% true shooting percentage in the playoffs. After breaking his nose, 46% Yikes. true shooting in the playoffs. <laughs> so a massive difference there. Cameron Payne had his best game of the playoffs. 29 points, 8 assists, 0 turnovers. And then rolled his ankle in the next game and has not passed seven points since then in the, in the three games since then. So there's another difference there. But the most obvious, the most glaring injury of all is Giannis Antetokounmpo, who has not yet played since hyperextending his knee against the Hawks in, I believe, game three, Oh no, game four, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, it I, I don't know how much there is necessarily for us to talk about when talking about how much injuries will affect the series, but I think we can talk about especially from your guys' perspective, guys from the Eurostep podcast, as far as what the Bucks look like without Giannis and, and how that could go if he does or doesn't play. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they've looked probably better than a lot of people, myself and Rohan included, expected over a two-game sample so far. Um, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday certainly stepped up. In Game 5 against Atlanta, Brooke Lopez stepped up in a massive way. I think that'll probably be harder for him to do against DeAndre Ayton than it was against Clint Capella, who I think a lot of Capella's defensive renown has to do with him being kind of bouncy and switchable, and he's kind of small and just hard for Lopez to deal with. DeAndre Ayton, not small. There's my first piece of expert analysis <laughs> on the pod. But I think they looked good. I think the Bucks looked good, but I do think it was – a little, it had fever dream aspects, so I'm hoping that, you know, we we get at least limited Giannis mm-hmm. from the very start of this series. Like, Game 6, I mean, Jeff Teague was incredible. That's not something you expect. Pat Cotten has been good the whole run, but he was hitting threes. Um, the Bucks, as a team, have not hit many the whole postseason run. So I just think, and, and Drew Holiday was so good, and I think very up and down for most of the playoffs, and then really turned it up when they needed him. Hopefully, that's not random variance for two games. Hopefully it just shows that maybe Drew was biding his time and trying to let other guys, namely Chris and Giannis, command the ball more and just get more in the offensive scoring action earlier in the run and then step, was able to step up on command when needed. But I do think like, you know, do I expect the Bucks to look great in a prolonged amount of games against Phoenix if Giannis can't play? No, I think they'd look okay. I think this is a very resilient team. But I do think like they need Giannis back for all the Skip Bayless takes about, oh, are they better without him? Is Batman without Robin? All this. No, it's stupid. The guy's a two-time MVP. He's awesome. They're much, much better when he plays. Please, Giannis, be well soon.
3: Yeah, I think one of the main things you hit on there, Ty, is this team showed its resiliency. We saw a lot of times during the postseason before Giannis went out, this team just started so slow. Early on in series, early on in games, they just, they didn't have that drive, really. They weren't playing with pace. That's not, like, entirely Giannis's fault. I'm not saying that. But once Giannis went down, the entire team sort of realized, like, oh, okay, we got to go do this now. Like, <laughs> we just lost our best player. So you saw that in games four and five. They started out, or excuse me, five and six. They started out hot. They played with pace. They played with aggression. They were attacking more than they have been. They were getting to the rim, which we had been begging them to do for the entire series. It's just, it seemed like a team that actually had like motivation, like, oh, okay, we have to go and out there and do this now. Without Giannis for another series, I don't know if that's going to be something that can realistically hold up, especially against a team as good as Phoenix. With Giannis, you hope that this team sort of keeps that same energy going, especially because it's the NBA Finals now. This is the big moment. This is the biggest stage. You just... You want to see that same sort of level of intensity that you saw without Giannis, but now you have Giannis.
1: I have to say, one of the things I'm most appreciative of the fact that we have this matchup against you guys, the Bucks specifically, is I think both fan bases and both teams are in a pretty similar emotional place uh, with our confidence. Having beaten or having won multiple games, you guys won multiple games without Giannis. We won multiple games without Chris Paul. And to your point Ron, I think like that did similar things for both fan bases of understanding, oh this these are teams that can overcome some level of adversity. Obviously you you still say you're the best team with your superstar available, but that doesn't mean the other guys are just going to roll over. Um to what you were saying Ty a little bit, I know you were you were talking about Skip Bayless there and and I'm by no means am I going to say that the Bucks are better without Giannis. I'm expecting him to suit up in game 1 um based on the limited info we have now. I'm expecting to game plan for him and I'm expecting him to be a handful. However, do you think there's an element of like, if Giannis does rush back, hopefully they wouldn't rush him back, right? But like, if he does come back, it, there's, there's a pressure associated with the NBA finals. If he does come back and he's like 70 or 80% of what he normally is, or even less, like let's say 60% from the start of the series. Do you think there's an element of, well, we would almost rather Because so much of what Giannis is going to is going to lose with his athleticism, his first step, his ability to get downhill and like kill you in transition, like that's the type of stuff that would go with a knee injury. So is it almost like, well, we would rather put Drew and Chris in a position where they have to force it rather than watch Giannis take like high elbow jumpers for game one? Like because you're just not really going to you're not really going to win that way if that's your strategy. Right. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, the whole time, really, you were breaking down the scenario, I was thinking about, like, what's the worst case for how Giannis looks, further injury aside, for coming back? And the worst case is, like, he's out on the perimeter a lot, and Phoenix just completely ignores him, and as a response, he takes a lot of jumpers because he doesn't want to drive repeatedly. That would be bad. We've seen a much better utilized Giannis in the regular season, and especially in the playoffs where he's getting the ball in the elbow, kind of in post position. He's worked on his fadeaway a little bit, sort of on his hook shot, although that's the number one thing I'd like to see him work on more. But you see him busting out these other moves to really, I think, avoid constant charge fouls that he's gotten in years past against the smaller defenders. I mean, that's been that's been the book on guarding Giannis, right, is put someone Jay Crowder-sized on him, have them fall over and Giannis gets in foul trouble and turns the ball over a lot, and it's bad. So I, I think it, the if Giannis is going to play, and everybody on the Bucs knows he's not going to be able to rampage like usual, I think you need to bust him out, utilized in much better scenarios. And I think pick and rolls, like as a roll man, is one. But I think really like getting him more post possessions, letting him play make and or score from there, just so it's a little harder for the Suns to ignore him offensively. I think the Bucks are really going to have to be smart. With how they reintroduce him to the to the to the, to the lineup, um, and I think thankfully we've seen much more adjustments, proactive adjustments even from Mike Budenholzer. Although I'm not one to, you know, completely trust Bud by any means, I do think we've <laughs> seen some things like the way they defended without Giannis starting in Game Five. Mm-hmm. I mean, Scram switches off the ball, Brooke Lopez switching and holding up, not letting Capella. Post up like Drew Holiday, or I, I actually they're fine with Drew, but you know the smaller players uh, like Chris. But I don't know. I'm 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 fairly confident that they'd use him well. But Giannis is, you know, Giannis likes to to play the way Giannis likes to play. Although we have seen that evolve a little bit as the playoffs have gone on too. But Rohan. Would love to hear your thoughts on this this time. Yeah, we've seen
3: a hampered Giannis in the past, given we have no idea what's gonna happen with this injury because this we haven't seen this before with Giannis, but we've seen Giannis go through knee injuries in the past and sort of play a little play a little hampered, we'll say. And regardless of whether he's at full strength, ready to go, or anything, he is still gonna command a lot of attention at the rim. He's still like a massive human being who's insanely strong and can still put pressure on the rim regardless of whether he's at full strength or not in terms of his knee, just because of his sheer length is uh, just his power down low. But when we've seen those sort of circumstances happen before, like Ty, you were getting to this, we've seen him being put in a lot of better positions in terms of playmaking. He's been making the right pass. He's been making the right reads, especially during this postseason, like early on. He's really, really evolved as a playmaker, and it's become one of his greatest strengths. We're seeing him get guys in better positioning. We're seeing right team movement, right team adjustments in terms of getting in positions where Giannis can find them easier. Lots of relocation stuff like that. We we can still see Giannis attack uh, the rim, but he can also be a fantastic playmaker even if he is hampered. So let's say he is you know not a full strength seventy to eighty percent. Let's say. He's still going to make a massive impact out there on the floor regardless, regardless of whether he's like fully attacking in transition or anything.
2: Yeah, I think the point on him just being the screener in uh, pick and rolls uh, is just he becomes valuable there because anytime you do something like that, it garners attention. You have to pay attention, especially uh, for someone like Giannis. Uh, When he does not have the ball, if he's rolling to the rim, you got to pay attention to that. So I think, yeah, that's a great point there. Um, I would love to hear what you guys have as one of the questions, either one of you guys from the Eurostep podcast, because uh, uh, we can just go back and forth between ours and yours and see what the questions are.
0: Uh, I mean, I think I've got. Oh, do you have a good yeah, one? I, was, on. I have a very basic one. Okay, I was just going to start off with
3: like sort of mashup questions here because when
2: yeah, um, that was mine. After too.
3: Dante Divincenzo went out in the Miami Heat series, the Bucks have been playing big. They've been starting PJ Tucker for the majority of the time. since yeah. one game. The Suns' two best players are obviously elite, obviously just incredible. in Chris Paul and Devin Booker, they are a little, a little small, a little small. And obviously they've made that to their advantage. How do you see like Chris Paul and Devin Booker sort of matching up against like a Drew Holiday and a Chris Middleton, on uh, the defensive end? Yes, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I think this becomes a much easier question to answer when you have Mikhail Bridges on your team because then you have to worry about it less. So Mikael is going to match up on Middleton, I would imagine. He's just he takes the best yeah. perimeter assignment of every player throughout the season. And I actually feel super confident in that because McHale is really long. Um, he's not super strong. So he tends to do better against like the Luka Doncic's, the uh, the Donovan Mitchells of the world than, say, uh, a Kawhi Leonard Paul George type. So he's going to be on Chris. Um, I think Devin Booker is probably going to take the Drew Holiday assignment. That would be my guess.
0: Oh, really? Oh, I figured Book on PJ and then CP what on they Drew. Try
1: to, what they try no, to do is yeah, they – Chris Paul is a good helper at this point in his career. He's smart. Mm. He's not going to be out of place. Actually, so it, it's it's kind of interesting you brought that up, Ty, because really they're the inverse of each other. You look at Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Like, Chris Paul's a smart team defender. You're not going to catch him sleeping, but he's just small and he's just old. And so they're going to hide him on a corner shooter like PJ and then say, hey, you can help off him if, if you don't think PJ's going to make the shot booker is bigger and he's stronger and he's motivated we've seen him in these playoffs like he's motivated by the idea of playing solid one-on-one man defense against like tough players like he he takes that as a challenge that he embraces it uh where booker tends to fall asleep on defense is if you put him in too many actions and like someone slips behind him back door so if they don't allow that to happen by putting him on a guy who's going to control the ball most of the possession, like Drew, I think they would actually live with that. Uh, they, they would be pretty happy with that
2: matchup. And then so
1: Chris Paul is probably going to be on P.J. Fascinating. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead.
2: Yeah, and I, I, I do want to ask you guys, too. You do think P.J. is going to start? Like, I just want to start from there.
0: Yeah, I think absolutely. Like, no question. Okay. He's just proven too much. Uh, the Bucks' identity this postseason has been defense. I mean, their offense has been here or there, which is shocking because most of the regular season— they are off. They were offensively much better. I think maybe playing P.J. a lot more is maybe what changed that around. But the right. Bucks are so huge on defense. Budenholzer's always been big on defense. I think, you know, for the shooting woes that we've seen at times, P.J. on offense, the offensive rebounding mm-hmm. has been huge. That's the one place mm-hmm. that yeah. offensively he offers a lot and has made a big impact for the Bucs. And I think, although C.P. is one of those players, I think Zach Lowe's piece was great on him about just, like, every possible little thing he's going to exploit and i think that includes like (laughs) he'll probably stop pj from getting some boards just by either flopping well or you know staking out position and and just getting it or tapping it out or something i don't think pj will eat there like he did against trey young but i do think he'll be able to make an impact there um i think he starts for sure rohan do you agree I mean,
3: after the Atlanta series where you kind of were like, maybe maybe starting Bobby Portis would be a good idea here. And they still didn't. Yeah, they're going, PJ.
0: For (laughs) sure. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: Yeah, and this is all under the assumption that Giannis plays uh, for me because my question, I had a very similar question uh, to what you guys had, is is who guards Drew Holiday in particular. I'm assuming that, first of all, I want to just preface all of this by saying the Suns have been very willing to switch on just about everything uh, so far. I think Giannis presents a different challenge where they may... Uh, attempt to not switch on him, which is a little bit easier for a guy who's likely not going to pull up from the three point uh, from the three point line behind screens as often as maybe don't tempt could. Him. And uh, also, yeah, <laughs> please. Also, he tends no. to attack. <laughs> please, yeah. actually, don't tempt him. He attends. He tends to attack uh, without a screen a lot of times too. So you know you yeah. don't have to worry about switching in those scenarios as well. Uh, so I'm just assuming Ayton on Lopez, Crowder on Giannis, Mikael on Chris. And I think when, at that point, then you have Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and you're looking at PJ and Drew. And I think Sam said it right. And I think this is something that the Hawks did, right? Trey Young was sort of hiding on PJ Tucker a lot of the times. PJ Tucker, not much of a a movement guy. (laughs) We love him. (laughs) As we all know. Uh, PJ, (laughs) we, I love PJ Tucker. And he, and you look, the Suns revived his career, right? They're the ones that brought him back from China. And he, he just, just now in Media Day, he called it his second home. Uh, Eddie Johnson the guy who is the color commentator for the Phoenix Suns used to say that PJ Tucker might as well have a couch (laughs) in the corner because he just sits there and waits for the ball and so you know yeah Chris Paul on him I think that's probably the right way to go especially with what he's shooting right now PJ Tucker once again I love him not shooting very well in the playoffs so far Uh, so you can you can kind of help off of him a little bit more. And I think you're right, Ty. I think that Chris Paul is going to try and bait him into as many fouls as possible when he crashes those offensive boards. The Bucks have been one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the playoffs so far. And the Suns uh, have been one of the worst. Uh, so I think trying to negate that advantage in any way possible, if it's Chris Paul, it's not going to be boxing out, right? It's not going to be going over a guy and getting a rebound. He's going to have to use his brain. And that means... His body will go limp as soon as P.J. Tucker <laughs> tries to climb him in any way possible. And I think Sam brought up a great point with Devin Booker on Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is an interesting one because, first of all, every single series so far, they have been trying to pick on Devin Booker defensively. And it really has yet to work because the best way to pick on Devin Booker defensively is to get him off the ball and... And try and backdoor cut on him, or uh, try and get it—the swing the ball to him and uh, to whoever he's guarding—and try and shoot before he can close out. That's like the best way to do it, and that's actually kind of hard to do—to pick on somebody off the ball like that. So more often than not, they've been getting the switches and attacking him, and he's held his own. I mean, he's not—he's strong. He doesn't have long arms. He's strong, but he's smart, and he's capable of holding his own on the ball. So I think it's going to be an interesting challenge for him in in, in a way. I think with the kind of effort that Devin Booker is going to expend guarding somebody like Drew Holiday, who's going to have the ball more often, and then taking the best defender on the Bucks in in the offensive side uh, for the entire series, he's going to be a bit like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if if Chris Paul ended up with more offensive stats by the end of this series. I guess I could say because I think Devin Booker is going to have a little more of a challenge on both sides of the ball than Chris Paul will. Uh, depending on what you guys think, because I also would like to hear who you guys think is going to guard who from the Bucks end. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I agree with Sam, I guess, is my point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'd love to go through who I anticipate guarding who for the Bucks, uh momentarily, but just on that thought of like the way to hurt Devin Booker, this reminds me a lot of like Harden and Kyrie, and especially Kyrie. Yeah. I mean, injured Harden just couldn't move. That was a different beast. But healthy Harden and Kyrie – like I thought Kyrie played tremendous defense when he was healthy in that series. I thought the way you pick on him and especially on Harden after he couldn't move was like, get them in action. So I think maybe too late for that series a little (laughs) bit, but especially against Atlanta, Drew has been running a lot of ball screens and like throwing a lot of either oops to Brooke or Giannis or or just getting them the ball and, you know, one step away. And it's especially Brooke has his touch has been tremendous. I think I think Marcus Johnson, a Bucks color commentator, shared that nobody in the playoffs has a better field goal percentage in the restricted area. I think Ayton is second and Brook Lopez wow. is first. Lopez shooting like 81% or something. Like his touch has been ridiculous and he's been huge for the Bucs, especially these last two games. So I hope even with a healthy Giannis they find ways to get him working inside. Obviously the spacing isn't perfect, but those two are gonna play a lot together just because they're too good and the Bucks don't have enough options, quite frankly. Um, but so, yeah, I think if, if Drew continues to run a lot of pick and rolls, right. And like, you know, get moving to the paint simultaneously with a big guy. So you have to watch the lob, you have to watch the kick out. Drew himself is like really, I'll say rounded into form attacking the basket. I mean, he's great all year. It's his best offensive skill. I think cause he's just so damn strong, but earlier in the playoffs, he was just kind of wishy washy from everywhere. Lately, he seems like he's on a different level. So, really hope we continue to see that. Obviously, um, so I think that could be interesting if they can if they put Booker like running around a bunch of screens or dealing with a bunch of screens. I think that sounds like it's going to be the optimal way to play it. I hope the Bucks don't just try to iso him because I mean he's a big guy. He's not. He's got a chip on his shoulder, like you guys said. Nobody likes hearing about how they're a bad defender. Certainly, uh, so I hope that's not the the play. And I think especially with a more limited Giannis. I hope it won't be. But my read, and I'd love to hear your guys' take and Rohan's take, I think we start with Drew on CP, PJ on Booker, Chris on Bridges, Giannis on Crowder, and Brooke on Aiton. And I think that Brooke-Aiton big man battle might sneakily end up defining the series. I think both of them have been so good. And it's like – Will Aiton's youthfulness and strength and energy win out or Brooke Lopez is savvy? And oh, he's pretty damn strong, too. But those two are like the way they play on both ends is going to be so, so big. In so this can series. I
1: just ask? And I have a couple of follow up questions. Actually, I have a bigger one I want to talk about in yeah. a minute. But just from the outset there, um, first of all, I looked up the regular season stats. Drew played more positions, uh, possessions, sorry, on Chris Paul in the regular season. Um, I actually came out thinking he was probably going to take Devin Booker here, but for you to say the opposite, he's probably going to take CP3 makes sense. Um, Why PJ on Booker and not Middleton? Just what's what's, what's the logic?
3: I was was thinking Chris Middleton on Booker, considering the matchups we've seen throughout this postseason, because out of the two guards that you're going to play, Booker is going to be the guy moving around off ball a lot more than uh, Chris Paul, so... In the Heat series, we saw Chris Middleton take the Duncan Robinson matchup. In the Brooklyn series, we saw Chris take the Joe Harris matchup. I could see this sort of being a, a similar sort of mindset. Obviously, they're very, very, very different players. But I could see Chris Middleton on, uh, on Devin Booker and put PJ on Mikhail Bridges. Makes it a little bit easier for the Bucks perspective. But Ty, Ty what's your reasoning there?
0: Well, I mean, first and foremost, just think of the offensive loads that both players are going to have. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Uh, I think Mike with like Booker and and how much he's going to have to do and dealing with potentially guarding Drew Holiday, like Chris is going to have to do a ton on offense, especially early in this series, but really all the way throughout. PJ, not so much. I mean, we talked about a couch already. I mean, his quote from the Nets series on like, you know, do you feel like you have to score more? He basically said, no, like I'm guarding Kevin Durant. No, I don't. Like, do you know how much energy this takes? Like, (laughs) I refute that notion. I'm kind of busy out here. And I think you'd rather dedicate, you know, hey, PJ, put 85% of your energy on playing great defense and then rebound and hit some threes, please. Whereas Chris, Chris is going to be an engine. And also, PJ's defense on book at the end of that controversial (laughs) regular season game (laughs) It was excellent. It was great defense. Like, I think he starts there. I mean, he started picking up Trey uh, in Game 6. That might have been because Trey was pretty hampered, hard to say. But I think they would start with that. But, I mean, to the point on Drew playing more on CP, the Bucks like to throw waves of defenders. So wouldn't shock me at all if in Game 1, no matter who's out there, you see Drew, PJ, Chris, maybe even Giannis take shifts on Booker. I think that's been one of the things for them that's worked well defensively, like look at the way they guarded KD. You would see Drew take the assignment. You would see Chris, obviously PJ, Giannis rarely, although that was the one everyone talked about. Um, They're going to throw waves of defenders at these guys for sure, and that's one thing Bud has not been afraid to get weird with. Ever since I saw Giannis match up on Kyrie to start the Brooklyn series, I was like, okay, we might see some controversial defending decisions but I think this is one area where Bud's tendency of like, I want to try everything out a little bit and see what works is actually pretty smart. Like, I think you can strike gold by doing that from time I, to time. I just
1: think PJ on Booker would present such an interesting narrative, uh maybe more so from our perspective than your guys. But it's because like five years ago, six years ago at this point there, when Booker was first drafted, there were interviews about how PJ Tucker was the guy like he took him under his wing and in, in practice, he beat the shit out of him. Uh, you know just like just <laughs> trained him like an 18 19 year old Devin Booker on how to play like these are the tricks that defenders are going to use against you uh, I don't know if he was thinking necessarily about the playoffs at the time the Suns weren't a very good team but like this is what you have to do to become a better player for that I, I have no doubt that that made Devin Booker a better offensive player going toe-to-toe with a guy as tough as nails as PJ in practice for that to culminate in this matchup in the NBA finals would just be pretty funny and I think um, he has his advantages. You know, Booker's a he's a bigger guard. He likes to use his strength in order to try and create separation. And I don't think he would get really any of that against PJ. But I think the other thing you have to worry on the other end of the spectrum is uh, just PJ's quickness with where he is at, at this age yeah. is not what it once was when he was in his heyday. Um, and so, you know, I think I think Bud would probably be pretty quick to make that adjustment. If he saw PJ getting blown by, he would he would put Chris yeah. on him instead.
2: I I think it's almost as simple as Devin Booker went from 18 to 24 and PJ Tucker went from 30 to 36 in that time. And, uh, that's a, that's a big difference, uh, you know, as far as athletic primes. But I actually think PJ Tucker could do a, a pretty, I mean, I saw what he did to Kevin Durant and of course, Kevin Durant, you can't stop Kevin Durant. We all know how it works. Like it's, it's a, it's almost similar to the way that Suns fans talk about DeAndre Ayton guarding Giannis, for example. Um, where yeah, DeAndre does a relatively good job, but you still can't. What are you going to do? You still can't stop him. And I think PJ Tucker with KD, that's how it was. It's just about sort of making that first option uh, disappear and forcing him to that second, third, or fourth option. And I think PJ could do that. So I think that's interesting. I imagine Sam. I know you. You had a question that you I said was related up, to yeah. defense. I think that we probably we probably have a similar question. So I'd like you to, you to get to that one and. See if <laughs> okay. We can well, I, I don't know.
1: Maybe maybe it's the same. Maybe it's not. But. I think we can only spend so much uh, time talking about like the initial matchups because ultimately, those initial guys, this is what I'm most curious about with the Bucks. The biggest reason for me personally, from the outsider perspective, to buy stock in what the Bucks were doing this year, despite the worst regular season record. The reason it all made sense to me that this was still a team that I took very seriously the entire playoffs was because you guys started switching. You perfected the drop defense years ago that I feel like Milwaukee was like maybe the first team to do that in the NBA in the modern era. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, a drop defense, A, it only goes so far in the playoffs kind of in general. That's kind of what the theory is. But but B, the Suns specifically are very good at picking apart a drop defense because of Booker and Paul. They're just Chris Paul is a 60 percent mid range shooter when he wants to be. It's tough to stop that if you're going to drop a guy back. Um, you guys started switching. Much more, even with Trey back in game six. And so I think that's really interesting in talking about what you're going to do, how comfortable you're going to feel about switching um, against the Suns in this series. Specifically, I want to nod um, my cap or, or tip my cap over to friend of our podcast, Kevin O'Connor, because he just said this on uh, uh, the Ringer NBA show. He said, uh, using second spectrum data, the Suns scored only 0.8 points per possession in the Clippers series versus switches. Which is putrid. It's, it's terrible. Um, and we scored over one point per possession against basically every, everything else, everything else that they tried to do, whether they trapped or hedged. We've seen teams try to trap and hedge against Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And what we found is either the role players are too good and the guards are too good at like making those cross court passes, like to find an open shooter in the corner. Or if it's Chris Paul, he's just his processing speed is too fast. You can't like double Chris Paul because he just finds the open man every time. But if you switch, that can muck up what the Suns are trying to do a little bit. So how confident are you two in just the the theory of the Bucks being able to switch continuously, kind of more as a go-to defensive scheme throughout the series? Do you think it's something Bud is even interested in trying um, or that we'll see from from early? I think we're
3: going to see it at some point during the series. We will probably not see it right away, even though we probably should. Uh, If you're going to go out there and sort of go in a drop scheme against the Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young in game one, when you know that you need to switch that, you're going to probably do the same thing against the uh, Phoenix Suns here. Even though they did learn that later on, like you mentioned, like switching really, really, really was effective in that series, they're going to start out and they're going to have that mentality like, okay, beat our base scheme and then we'll go out and adjust. Whether that's the right thing to do or not is a different debate, but that's what they're probably going to end up doing. But I do think... They have the personnel to be a good to great switching team, as we've seen. And I think it could really work against the Suns team. Like, the the prominent matchup here is like, what? If, if you get uh, Brooke Lopez switched onto Chris Paul, right? Like, that's the ultimate, like, oh, no, what are, what are we going to do here sort of thing? We saw that in the Atlanta series, given different players and different skill sets. Mm. But Brooke Lopez has sort of been holding his own. He's been holding his own on the perimeter Over the last couple of years, Ty likes to joke about him being deceptively long, and it's like uh, it's not a joke. (laughs) He literally is like it's it's not deceptive if you know who he is. Whatever, Uh, it's deceptive. Sure, (laughs) but he is a massive, massive human being, like seven foot, nearly three hundred pounds or something. Like he can get into some passing lanes and get into his vision. These things sort of happen when you're a massive human being. Like he's effective on the perimeter, given. He's not gonna it's not the greatest thing. That's not your first option. You're not like okay, Brooke Lopez go out there and guard Chris Paul or Devin Booker. But he can hold his own on possessions. And it makes him work and makes them think, like you were mentioning. It just makes them go to their second and third options, like, oh, this is this is something that I don't want to really take on right away if I'm the ball handler. Maybe we should try something else. And that's the worst possible matchup.
0: Yeah, I think. Thankfully, the one difference, even the Bucks' default drop right now at this point in time versus even during parts of the regular season against Utah in particular, I would imagine Milwaukee probably switches one through four on the perimeter pretty much immediately. Uh, they've been doing that a lot more and, and not. I mean, they were dropping on guard guard stuff and like Donovan Mitchell was just laughing and hitting threes in their face in the regular season. It was brutal. I think we'll see that right away. It wouldn't shock me. If they started dropping to start the game and under the assumption or the taking the bet like if your whole offense, Phoenix, is mid-range jumpers and we're executing offensively, we probably get enough points per possession on the other end for that to work. And I think in the Atlanta series, I mean, they were better when they switched, like literally switched to switching. But even game one, they, probably, they should have won that game. They couldn't rebound late or score. They really fell apart late in that game. But, you know, Trey puts up 48 and the Hawks barely eked out the win. I think the bet is not always terrible. I don't think it's going to hold up over a seven-game series against two guys as great from the mid-range as CP and Booker. But I think we're going to see some of it until the Suns manage to punish it enough. And then we'll see the switching. And I think, you know, people are going to say Bud is stupid for that, which is fine. I mean, I've said that for a lot of reasons in the past, although we're, we're riding with him now, baby. But I do think part of it also is, like, I don't know if Brooke Lopez can play big minutes and switch constantly yeah. for seven straight games of a series. Like, he's huge. He's not very young. And it's kind of just preservation. I mean, he works hard no matter what. He's such a yeah. fulcrum of that defense. But obviously, you know, him having to go out to the perimeter and mess with a Chris Paul or Booker is a lot more work intensive than timing and, and the thought of playing drop defense, which is more cerebral. So I think we'll see it. I don't think the Bucks are gonna, you know, lose four straight games or four total games because of a complete unwillingness to go to switching. I think we're gonna see switching as early as game one. But I do think the Bucs are going to try that bed at least a few times. Like, you know, if 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 we drop and everyone stays home on shooters, which that was their worst sin in past years, 2019 conference finals especially, they're dropping and helping one pass away. And Kawhi just had a buffet of easy shots and passes. If they stay home on the on shooters and drop, it's like, listen, book, CP, you guys might get yours, but maybe your teammates aren't involved. Maybe we don't give up lobs. Maybe, you know, even great mid range shooters, it's not the most efficient. So it's gonna be interesting to see. I think they start dropping. Be interesting to see A, how it works early on, I would assume not super well, and B, how long they stick with it.
2: Tight. I'll be honest. Hearing you say that the possibility of the Bucks just sort of giving up whatever is available in their mid-range to the Suns, every single Suns fan listening to this is is just ecstatic at the thought of that uh, because that tends to be what the Suns want. Like They, they kind of just play for that. And with Devin Booker and Chris Paul being literally two of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA, uh, that makes it really hard for me. And Sam, I did have this question essentially almost exactly as you worded it. My question, though, even extends beyond that in that if the drop does not work, is there a point that Bud will start to pull Brook Lopez's minutes? Because I even think beyond that, if they do start switching, if the Bucks do start switching, assuming that Giannis is healthy, right? This is a preface on all of this podcast here. Uh, I'm not sure that Brook Lopez can continue to play. Now, I appreciate that you guys mentioned that you're a little more confident In him on the perimeter than I am. I do think it's a little interesting that the Suns have three guys that attack in three different ways on those switches. Being that uh, Devin Booker is like a true three-level scorer, he might hit you with a step-back three. He might get past you, pull up from mid-range, and try and get fouled. He might get to the rim. Cameron Payne is essentially the sort of analytics-type player. If he gets if he gets a big pulled out to him on the perimeter, he's going to try and blow by you to the rim. If he hits that jab step, the big backs up. He's just going to shoot the pull-up three. And then Chris Paul is sort of that side-to-side guy that's going to sort of rock you to sleep and try and pull up from mid-range. And I just think the combination wait, wait, wait. of those three guys... Can and I keep even going, the- but can I ask a question mm-hmm. I'm dying to ask
1: after, after you finish making this point? I have something I need to know.
2: <laughs> okay the combination of all three of those guys and the way that they can attack it's Brooke Lopez in particular on those switches, I think is going to put a lot of pressure on Bud to do something that the Bucks appear to be resistant to do. And that's really just put Giannis sort of at center because regardless of who Brooke Lopez is guarding in that situation, if the Bucks start switching, that's the guy that's going to screen, right? It's going to be that guy that screens. If it's Jay Crowder, if it's DeAndre Ayton, if it's Mikel Bridges, regardless of who it is, they're going to work that switch to, to try and get one of the guards on them. So I think the question, I think, for me was, would the Bucks be willing to switch early, which it sounds like maybe you guys are thinking they're not going to, and even beyond that, at what point would they be willing to even potentially go smaller, right? They're still huge, and uh, and switch with that lineup instead of with Brooke Lopez on the floor. That's interesting. But Sam, you we well, had something me that Well, it's just there. the can... fact
1: that you mentioned those three guards. I want to credit our friends over the, the 7 Seconds or Less podcast for this idea, but you just reminded me of it. I, I wasn't going to ask this. Um, Ty and Ron, we've talked about Cameron Payne, uh, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul together as kind of like a secret weapon lineup for the Suns in the past. We talked about how we've wanted to see it more than we actually have. They've only played it in very short spurts, the, the three guards all together. But... The, the, the numbers, numbers are, are very good. The numbers are very good. I, I just want to say, because because this is a series, theoretically, you guys have Drew. Drew is awesome. Uh, Middleton can hold his own. After that, it's kind of like just a lot of big wing stoppers and not a lot of quick guard stoppers. Do you know what I mean? If the Suns double down on the strategy of, we don't have the size. Like, you guys are going to get offensive rebounds in this series. So let's just double down on what we're good at and kill you with speed and try to maximize dribble penetration in a lineup. If the Suns played a three-guard lineup with like campaign is now suddenly the shooting guard, Devin Booker's the small forward, uh, how, how do you think you would guard that? Like who's, who's taking that third assignment and, and what do you think about that?
0: Um, to, to answer Mike's question first, the Bucks went small with Giannis at five in game one against Atlanta to close the whole fourth quarter. So we'll see it. I mean, part of it depends on how much Giannis can play. Because if Giannis right. can't play a ton, they just need Lopez, and they they just need to. They're, they're going to keep working to find ways to play him because there just aren't enough alternatives. Like extended run with Bobby Portis as your small ball five, although switching is his thing it's on bad. defense. It's, it's the one good. thing he does. He he does it well ish. Um, they drop <laughs> with Portis. It's just hell, but um, it's bad. Yeah. So I think you kind of have to play Brooke more depending how much Giannis can play. Um yeah, it's going to be tough for him to guard those three guys for sure, but his thing really he's going to try and make guys shoot over him. That's what he does. Like he'll concede that extra step and just it, it, got, it I don't have the analytics, I'm sure they're out there if, you know, friend of the timeline KOC <laughs> wants to pull him up on second spectrum by all <laughs> means, but it feels to me like guys shoot very poorly over Brook Lopez on the perimeter. I think you'd have more success trying to get by him, but I do think he manages to stay a half a half step farther back than most players would and just give himself a chance to at least disrupt the shot of a guy going past him but um so i think you're gonna see there are gonna be shots over him. potential there i think he just defends them well because he is deceptively long just wait just wait everyone (laughs) will see
1: if you're listening by the way uh, hit hit both of us up with your with your second spectrum (laughs) we would appreciate it please please (laughs)
0: Um, as for the three guard lineup, I think they would just have to involve Chris, PJ and Drew to start. Like with Dante going down and Dante is not a perfect player by any means, but he's a, a solid to good defender of guards. Yes. And the Bucks just, yeah. they don't have any other of those. I mean, Forbes is bad. I think Teague is probably going to get opportunities
3: after Game Six. Redemption story,
1: terrifying. It's a good redemption story, right? No, there's
3: one. There's one (laughs) Jeff Teague game during the playoffs. We had it. It's over.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that is true as well. But it's that or Forbes, and Forbes has just been so bad. And and when the shot isn't falling, he just offers nothing. So I think that the the biggest question for me, and it's not—we've already kind of covered it indirectly. It's not one we can we have to spend a lot of time on. But it's probably going to determine the series is like, can the Bucks size down defensively? That's what they're going to have to do. They need bigger guys to guard smaller Suns players. And we'll see how much Phoenix goes with a three-guard look. Obviously, the Bucs bet there is like, do as well as we can sizing down and mash the boards entirely and just keep trying right. on offense. Yeah. And and maybe, you know, even, even offensively, you know, make those guys guard uh, somebody Giannis or somebody Lopez pick and roll and let those guys mash too. Um, I think that's what that's what they have to do. I I like the Bucks know that they absolutely cannot like oh we'll run out Drew and Teague for extended minutes so we can guard little guys. Like, no, the better bet is to play the bigger guys who aren't ideal fits, but they're just much better. And that's what we've seen them do. I mean, the guard minutes off the bench have been so scant. Pat is probably gonna have to get involved and guard some of these guys, which he's been okay. Um, I think he's more of a forward. Wait, than a wait, guard only, at this point, he's only but, been
1: okay. I thought you. Um, I listened I mean, to. His number should be in the Raptors. Uh, yes, that's what this is. I was going to ask you about this. You weren't supposed to bring it up that soon. Why should Pat Connaughton's number be in the <laughs> Raptors, please. Ty? Ex- ex- please explain it to our audience. Why do you think this? So,
0: most of it has to do with the Brooklyn series so far, though he was very good in game six as well against Atlanta. So, that was bolstering my case. But my case for that and we might see another series like this this round, the Bucks ended up with six playable guys against Brooklyn, and he was one of the six, and they ended that series just playing six guys, and he held up, and he came, He was huge in, in Game 7. I don't think they win Game 7 without him. Like, it's not, it's not a great case. I realized this after self-reflection, I was but I just said it because, <laughs> like, no one expected this from Pat. Nobody expected ever, even the most ardent, baseball fans for Pat Cotten to be able to be one of six players who logs minutes and the Bucks beat a Kevin Durant team on the road. Like he stepped up so huge and has been so much more important than anyone, myself included. I thought he had a good regular season, but he's become a playoff minute able player. And it's not that he's been playoff tremendous. P- one might call it's him, just that right. he's no, 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 no. <laughs> don't do that to my guy. Um, but just the fact that he was able to step up and like sponge up some minutes when they just needed him to and not be a net negative. Again, it's like the worst. So case basically for Ty's in argument jersey. for
3: uh hanging Pat's jersey and being a pillar of the franchise is hey, the expectations were so low, but you played.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, the 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 case is he showed up out of nowhere and was an integral sure. part, one of that six guys. We we can put no, you you left out the integral part of a It's if they win, so an this? integral part of and a he, title. If team. you
1: win, you put Pat Connaughton's jersey in the rafters. If we win, Tory Craig's jersey is going in the rafters. And I we saw call that it, coming. We call it I'm a not deal. even hurt. because <laughs> We, we saw call it that a deal.
2: Yeah. <laughs> sure. How did that happen? What the hell happened? What? Why? Why couldn't Tory Craig play on the Bucks? And um, how do you think cash considerations will be guarding him? You're in this an asshole series? for that.
3: <laughs> well. <laughs> I think cast considerations I, I don't think... is going to hold up real well. I think they have a solid bag; <laughs> like they'll be they'll be doing well. Um, but <laughs> uh,
0: I, I don't think Bud was a big fan of Tori. so well. I will say, and,
1: you, you and... guys have a plethora of guys who just go out and get boards, and like we needed that. Tori's our second best rebounder after DeAndre. Ayden, no joke in our playoff rotation. But you guys didn't need another one of those guys necessarily.
0: Well, they got PJ like. The True. same day. And I think if they don't get PJ, right, there's right. no way they do that. But I think it was like we already have so many wing players. I mean, look at the roster. Literally, the rotation in these playoffs, he's not going to play anymore. I think part of it was not a great fit. Part of it probably an agent favor. Like, we know you're not going to yeah. play now that we have PJs. So here, go to a yeah. good team. I'm guessing the Bucks, like most people, did not expect to see Torrey Craig in the playoffs. When they made that trade, they probably don't do it if they see that one coming. Um, but I think that was a lot of it. And uh, But yeah, it looks terrible now, obviously, that he's playing good <laughs> minutes on their their opposition.
2: I, I mean, P.J.'s great. You guys got a good end of that deal either way. It, it led to P.J. Tucker, so uh, I guess it makes sense there. I would love to hear another question from you guys that you have uh, for this series.
0: I still have my one from before, but Rohan, if you have no, one sorry, you want uncork, go for it. My question is really, and this might sound dumb, but like, who's going to be the Jay Crowder of this series? So, my answer, I, Jay I don't Crowder. know how aware. Well, there's, I think there's two <laughs> options. If you would let me finish, Rohan. Oh my God. Your, your number is not going up in the rafters anytime soon. <laughs> Just Pat. But, um, but Jay, if you guys, I don't know how aware Sun's people are of this, but like, Jay Crowder is nightmare fuel for Bucks fans, because in yeah. 19, he was amazing against Giannis. And I think Giannis, you know, health aside, is much better and more well-equipped now, but he was tremendous on that end. And he, went, he turned around and shot an obscene percent from three in that series as well, and wasn't as good the rest of the playoffs, I don't think. I know this last round, he wasn't very good shooting the ball at all. I think that's going to be interesting, like just a random side smaller question is like how many threes can Bridges and, and Crowder hit because obviously the Bucks are going to be focused on the three players you know Chris Paul Devin Booker and Aiden are going to be so integral I think those guys are going to get some spaces we'll see how they punish but Crowder is obviously one option to be Jay Crowder um, 2019 <laughs> Eastern Conference Semis Jay Crowder to be specific but I assume he's going to guard Giannis a lot and obviously he's going to have opportunity to hit threes. I think the other option is PJ Tucker who is probably going to play a lot of important defensive assignment minutes and he's the guy on the Bucks, the one guy I think who is like going to aside, – aside from Giannis – who's going to be able to shoot a lot of threes. Like teams just aren't that worried about him. I don't know. I'm e- eager to hear what you guys think but also it's just kind of an unknowable random thing but like – Either one of those guys randomly hitting forty-eight percent from deep could end up swinging the series, and that's the yep. like terrible yep. swing factor aspect well, of the playoffs and the finals. First in of particular. All, I had to look
1: up the series stats. I, so the one you're talking about was last year, correct? Oh wait, shit! It is yeah, yeah twenty twenty. It was twenty twenty. I, I think I
0: said nineteen. Yeah, it was twenty twenty. My bad. So hold on,
1: <laughs> one second. Yeah, it was
2: a twenty twenty
0: semis, the bubble bubble it just series. Evaded.
2: When I bet on the Heat to beat the (laughs) Bucs. Sorry, guys. You're cursed. Uh, Can I just say, just just while you look that up, Sam, Jay Crowder is the one player on both teams that has played in the NBA Finals. And even the Finals that he played in was the one in the bubble, which I think when people talk about the environment of the NBA Finals, part of what's factored into that environment is the absolute insane crowds, which obviously were absent when they played in the bubble. But even having that level, that little bit of experience in the bubble, playing in those uh, finals where the Miami Heat were beat up after is... uh, the the Eastern Conference, it, it's tough. You know, it's just interesting to see if that will matter at all. It, it's just kind of interesting. Nobody else has played in an NBA Finals game. This except is absurd. For Sorry, Mike. Series. He averaged fifteen. Fifteen
1: point two. I'm sure. I'm telling you guys something you already know. But just for our listeners, 15.2 points per game in that series against the uh, against the Bucks last year. But he took 10.6 shots per game, 10.2 threes, which means Jay Crowder basically he may have taken <laughs> wow. like one layup. Like I don't know what that one other shot was, but basically every single shot he took in that series last year was a three. He chucked over 10 of them a game, and he shot 43% on those.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This is
3: where the nightmare fuel comes from. That's how I was referring yeah.
0: to. So wall wall doing that playing exceptional oh, defense on Giannis. like
3: no
1: but oh to your goodness. point from earlier ty if you stay home on shooters and just give pa- i know you didn't phrase it as give paul and booker what they want in the mid-range but but it's kind of what it sounded like. like you know if you if you stay home on shooters and make paul and booker shoot in the mid-range jay Crowder's not going to take 10 threes per game mikhail bridges isn't going to take 10 threes per game but i would argue like you would probably much rather help on our superstars and force our role players to prove that they can actually do that because Jay Crowder, while he can, like maybe there is a reason he gives you nightmares. He's a very streaky player at the same time, and he yeah. will shoot 20% from three in one game and then 60% the next. So I think yeah. that'd probably be a pretty good bet for the Bucks to to make our role players actually step up
0: just not cameron johnson who i want no part of cameron johnson well and, anyway. and, and i'll pass also, on that. this
1: this leads me just kind of to a follow-up question for you guys as long as we're talking about three-point shooting what's what's the deal with that because i think there's um oh christ there's <laughs> that's a loaded question there's there so for those who don't know the Bucks shot 38.9 percent from deep in the regular season that was top five in the nba you're down to 31 percent in the playoffs And a big part of that, look, I'll say from, from the get-go here, a big part of that is losing DiVincenzo, right? A big part of that is not feeling comfortable playing Bryn Forbes like heavy minutes in the playoffs because he's Bryn Forbes. So, so that, like those two things matter, but.
2: And PJ Tucker. Yeah, and, and PJ Tucker, but like PJ Tucker
1: played in the regular season some too. Mostly to me, it's like, I think there's that glass half full and a glass half empty way of looking at it. Like Chris Middleton's shooting 34% from deep, these playoffs. Drew Holiday's at 30% uh Giannis obviously is Giannis. He's not going to give you a ton there, but for the other two guys, it seems like kind of aberrant. And I guess the glass half full way to look at it is: well, we've already we've made it this far. Our offense has been—I know your defense is kind of carrying you, but your offense has been good enough to get to the NBA Finals. If you just start shooting 39% instead of 31% for a full series, if I'm a Bucks fan, I may be thinking, yeah, this will be easy. The glass half empty way to look at it is, well, why the hell has it been so long? We're still shooting 31% from deep. So so what, what do you guys think?
0: One more name to mention on just like the Chris Drew group of like, wow, why is that guy not hitting any threes? Bobby Portis, I think 47% in the regular season. Is that like 30% in the playoffs despite right. most of his looks being very, very good like trailer or corner or anything else? And Portis has played well. All those guys, of course, the first two more so. Have played well in spite of that. I think at this point there there is like a, the feeling among Bucks fans, and I share it, is like threes would just feel like found money at this point. Like they're so used to winning without hitting a lot of them, and a defense is huge in that. Being monstrous scoring at the rim is a lot of that too. I think that's been it more important even. Like I think there's been games where the Bucks looked like they were going to lose Game Six against Atlanta. Uh, was one of them where, like, the other team is hitting all these threes and you just know the Bucks won't, but they they keep getting inside and they just keep engineering buckets. I think that's been huge for this team. And I think it's almost like I, – I do think the one advantage the Bucks have over the Suns, I think people would look at this and go, if they're just looking at that particular topic, well, if everyone's healthy, Giannis is probably the best player in the series. That might be it. That might be all people say. I mean, uh, I think – a lot of people would think again. When healthy, the Bucks' third guy is probably better than Phoenix's third guy. I don't know if it's super decisive. Now that Aiton's been tremendous in his playoffs, maybe it's not even Aiton. I don't know. Maybe it's freaking campaign. Aiton's our he's best been. player now.
1: Um, if you ask me. I got <laughs> yeah, maybe he's our most impactful player. But yeah. He's not our best player. It's a really weird kind of conversation.
0: <laughs> I want to dig into that in okay. one second. Um, but but I do think uh, with the th- the one advantage the Bucks have is like. They've been through more adversity in getting this far. Not that Phoenix hasn't seen any. I mean, obviously, you win without CP and everything else, and it's a great group, and I think they're ready for this spot for sure. But the Bucks have been in, like, multiple scenarios where it's like, oh, our playoffs is probably just over. I mean, they sweep Miami, sure, but they needed overtime in game one, and that Miami team stunk. And I think if they lose that game one, things could have gotten a little bit ugly. Probably not, because they were so talented. But they could have. I mean, that... That team, was all, that team was nightmare fuel, demons, too, for a lot of Bucks fans. But the way they lost Game 2 in Brooklyn, oh, my God. I mean, we thought the run was over. The core would have to get broken up. We called it an organizational failure. The way they lost Game 5 against Brooklyn was pretty much as ugly, and they persevered and win. Game 4 against Atlanta, you start out flat, then you lose Giannis. The fear is maybe for the postseason, and they lose that game. But he's healthy, and they, they come back and win the series. Like, they've been just punched in the face, point blank, so many times that to still be here, I feel like that might be working for them more than anything else. And the three-point shooting is part of that, too. Like, they've they've gotten pretty much no positive variance, luck, uh, whatever you want to call it, whether it's luck or skill, I don't know. It never works out for the Bucks. whatever it is. Um, but they've won anyway. And, like, even in the first round, everyone said Forbes got lucky. I think he was one made total three over his season average against Miami. Like, he wasn't nuts. Like, they he was able to play because Miami stinks on offense, and he just shot a lot, and he made about his usual amount. So I think that's just another factor in, like, these Bucks just keep finding ways to win. I think this might be their toughest challenge yet. The only reason I say might is because Kevin Durant in that series was just, like, otherworldly. I mean, I still can't believe they beat that guy four times, help aside. Yeah. But I, I think – Uh, Yeah, I don't know if anyone, I don't think anyone, fans, coaches, players, is counting on Milwaukee suddenly being a great three-point shooting team. But God, it would be nice. Yeah,
3: I think the, uh, (laughs) you could, I'm about to give like a fun stat I just found. and It can be taken two ways. Like one, if you're positive for the Milwaukee Bucks, it's like, oh, there's so much variance. And it's like, oh, you can do so much better. And if you're like, want to take the opposite road, it's like, my God, they stink. So in the regular season, the bucks were sixth in the nba on wide open threes 41.7% according to uh, nba's uh, tracking data in the playoffs so far they are dead last with 30.9% oh on God. wide open threes dead last and there's so like the positive thing is they're, they're dead last on wide open threes and they're in the nba finals and they're still you can shoot better than that you i mean you technically can get worse i guess but <laughs>
2: Statistically, you would think that it would go higher than that. It hey, can't can't really get worse than dead last. I mean, technically, I guess that just that's just what dead last is. But yeah, I I, I found that to be uh, something that stood out to me as well. I think a lot of this series and, and people who don't like basketball. First of all, people who don't like basketball aren't listening to either one of our podcasts. But uh, people who don't like basketball hate hearing something like this. But like, whatever team gets hot from three that's going to affect the series dramatically. Uh, That was one of the things that I had written down. It's not super, super fun um, to say that, but I think that's going to have a a big effect. And I think sort of uh, we can call that Jay Crowdering, I guess. Uh, Sam has a great point about Jay Crowder. He's the king of averaging 10 points a game, but doing that by scoring one in one game and 20 in the next. Uh, So you never know uh, quite what you're going to get from Jay Crowder. And, And it would be interesting if P.J. Tucker did that. I just, I don't know that... Like The thing about Jay Crowder that I think is interesting is that uh, the volume of threes that he shoots, nothing bothers him. He'll shoot 35 in a game if he gets the ball open at the three-point line if he wants to. And I'm not sure that P.J. Tucker is quite like that uh, in the way that Jay Crowder is, especially because Jay Crowder kind of roams along the three-point line a little more often as well. So that'd be interesting to see if it is something that P.J. can do. Um, but, Ty, you had, you had something you wanted to say about Aiton, which I would like to get to because we haven't talked too much about Aiden. I'd like to hear what uh, what you wanted to ask us about eight and then uh, and then we can get going.
0: Yeah, I really and just quickly, I thought I was going to be able to correct you, Mike. I thought Crowder was in the finals with the Cavs, one of those years they got smacked. I forgot that Cleveland fans and everyone Yeah, they hated him. He was so bad and they hated him so much they traded him to Utah. I think they got Corver yeah. back actually. Uh it's really so weird how some of these players have moved uh, in the past. Bucks legend yeah. Kyle Corver. So yeah, never did. So you stand uncorrected. But my Aiton <laughs> question is really like, how do you guys look at his role? I mean, you said he was the best player against the Clippers. I knew he was quite good and very consistent in that series. But like, how do you look at that matchup with him and Lopez, who has been one of the Bucks best players, one of the, the core four really all year? I think he's been very, very important. I think going away from drop has meant he hasn't always looked the greatest, but I think these playoffs he stepped up in particular and he was so huge in games five and six, like on a- either end, wherever you want to start, but like, obviously Aiden's going to yeah. be setting screens and rolling. Like how much of a problem is he going to be there? How much is he going to ignore Lopez defensively to help on Giannis? I think that's going to be a huge part of the series is like, what happens with those two when Lopez is away from the ball and the action? Like, is he gonna come in and cut maybe and be able to rebound or or do something there or because if he's just standing on the perimeter and Aiden can roam a little bit, I don't love Lopez shooting a lot of threes. Although he has been weirdly dependable for the Bucks in a lot of ways these playoffs.
2: Yeah, I think he's shooting like thirty four percent or something like that. I, it maybe feels one of the better, but Lopez
1: yeah. number. I think he's yeah. been doing that for like five years straight. But
2: yeah, and I think if you shoot a lot of them, that's a good. That's a really good number. That that's not a bad number. Uh, in my opinion. I just want to say just just from DeAndre Ayton, just to, to understand, I think, where we are as a podcast, but also where Suns fans are in general. In the first round of the playoffs, DeAndre Ayton was matched up against a combination of Andre Drummond, who is Andre Drummond, right? We all know what he is, maybe the greatest rebounder of our time, uh, but not much else, but also Anthony Davis. And then in the next round, the Suns swept the Denver Nuggets, which included Nikola Jokic, who was the MVP of the league. And the main reason the Suns were able to do that is because you just matched minutes of Nikola Jokic with DeAndre Ayton and just allowed him to to guard him at all times and didn't worry about doubling, didn't send a second guy at Nikola Jokic, which just sort of mess... Never got in foul trouble in that entire series. It just messes up their whole scheme. But even just starting there, the difference between AD, Andre Drummond, and Nikola Jokic is a dramatic difference. And then you go to the Clippers series where he's matched up in a combination of Zubats, who's sort of a, uh, almost like a poor man's Aiton, (laughs) if you will, in what Zubats is. And then the small ball that they run, right? They didn't even start a center for multiple games. So the challenges that DeAndre Aiton has stepped up to throughout this postseason, in my opinion, we've called it a leap more than once on this podcast. Uh, He has made another leap from where he was in the regular season. And his ability to step up to the challenge in each one of those series uh, has just blown me away. And I think many Suns fans have been blown away by it. And so, so looking at Brook Lopez, in a lot of ways, Suns fans look at that and say it's a different challenge for him once again. It's a different kind of big man. And uh, I would say that I feel confident in him uh, to be able to rise to that challenge. One thing for you guys to know is Aiton tends to get better at playing against guys uh, the more often that he does it. So whether that be throughout a series or throughout his career, he starts to understand them. He watches film, I think is the way to look at it. And it gets better over time. So I'm excited to see that matchup. I think it's a really interesting challenge for DeAndre Aiton, sort of balancing guarding him on the perimeter, help defense, and then the, the players around him rotating to help him out if he does end up helping in the paint, which I think he's going to have to if Giannis plays a lot. I think it's going to be a really fascinating thing, and I even think that you could see an extended stretch of this of these games if Giannis is healthy, where DeAndre he is guarding Giannis, and I think it's it's a whole different challenge for him once again, another MVP can, that he's going to have to guard. But on a, can I on just a say we're an basis. hour in
1: and like we didn't even mention that yet. Like I want to bring up the stats of Ayton on Giannis because I don't think it's just like a cute like oh DeAndre Ayton's twenty two years old like maybe he could stop Giannis on one possession. He's done it before. And I pulled through NBA's tracking data all of Aiton's possessions on Giannis in the past. He's played a total of 19 minutes against Giannis through six games between his rookie his rookie season, his sophomore season, and this year. All regular season games. So I admit, like, if you don't want to take too much from it, that's fine. But Giannis, in those games, has scored 46 points when matched up against Aiton in 19 minutes. But he shot 14 for 35 from the field. He shot 18 of 23 from the free throw line, so he has gotten to the free throw line. If you tally up those field goals and those free throws with that point total, it comes out to a 51% true shooting percentage, which for Giannis Antetokounmpo, the two-time MVP who, who routinely posts 60 plus, is very bad. And if you go into this series with the prospect of Giannis being limited, I couldn't possibly be more confident in ayton's ability defensively to handle whatever's asked of him, whether that's Giannis or Brook Lopez. They're different challenges. But I think defensively, he's at that point where whatever you toss at him, he's going to be able to handle. Now, on offense, because I remember Ty was was talking about that first, he was like, oh, is he going to be a threat on the roll? I think the beauty of Aiden's offense at this point, it's kind of subversive. It's however much attention you want to pay to Aiden's offense is going to that that's going to heavily influence what you get out of him. So if his gravity is doing a lot of work and you decide to keep Lopez or, or a low um a tagger close to him on those lobs maybe he's not going to score a lot of points but maybe Chris Paul and Devin Booker are going are, are to get the pull-ups that they want in the mid-range if you pay more or the, or corners. the corners if you pay more yeah. attention to the guards Aiden's going to get some lobs I mean his offense is not really the go-to at this point I think the reason it's so hard to sell the casual fan is DeAndre Aiden being when I say he's the most impactful player on the Phoenix Suns at this point I mean it and 99% of that is on the defensive end because that's how good he's been through three rounds
0: so, is there any chance that, let's say, the starting fives are what we expect, and Giannis is playing, would that would Monty ever stick Aiton on Giannis and someone like
1: Crowder um,
0: onto? Well, Lotus? it's
1: interesting you ask, actually, because when I looked at that data, um, Aiton logged significantly more minutes. I remembered in a game because because there was a game during Aiton's rookie season when we had.
0: Rookie year, Ayton was one of the best Giannis defenders we had, I ever saw. Since then, I feel like Giannis has gotten better, but that year, he was amazing. We
1: won one of those, I think we won both of those games actually somehow. We won at least one of those games that we had no business winning that regular season. We were a 19 win team, but it was such a storyline among Suns fans because, hey, we're a, we're a terrible team. Look at what Deandre Ayton, our rookie, just did to Giannis. I remember that being a storyline. Um, the matchup data claims that he's logged actually much more minutes in the two games this year with Monty Williams as the coach. So, I wouldn't be surprised um, if that's the case. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, but I do. Uh, my suspicion. I, I think my it suspicion is Jay starts.
2: I think it would take a few Brook Lopez threes, I think, to to do that. I think it might start the other way around. But if Brook Lopez starts hitting threes, and look, then they might switch it up. What and, I just and, and said and with Giannis got to the
1: free throw line against Aiton. If you're a Bucks fan... I'll say the same thing to you as I would have said to, to any any other fan of a team we've played at this point. I said this, you know, to Nuggets fans too. If you can get DeAndre Ayton into foul trouble, you can win this series easily, because the Suns hmm. don't have a backup center, and you're already so big, you grab a lot of offensive rebounds. If you get DeAndre Ayton out of the game, you already the Bucks are, I think, first in second chance points. The the Suns are close to dead last among playoff teams. So just think about the opportunities to feast that you'll have your your first look on offense doesn't even need to be efficient if DeAndre Ayton is out of the game because then you can just clean up on (laughs) Dario Saric the problem is DeAndre Ayton is one of the best centers in the NBA already at his young age at not being put into those positions he's very good at using verticality so it's not going to be easy but if anyone can do it it is Giannis on so we'll see Rohan do you have a
0: question
3: No, it's just Anything? I think it's going to depend a lot on what Brook Lopez can do both inside and outside that'll dictate those matchups. Mike you were talking yeah. about him hitting some threes, but also like if they're putting a smaller guy on him, he's just going to go out there and mash down low. Like he he will put whoever's smaller than him in the basket. And we we saw that a lot during the Brooklyn series. We saw that during the Atlanta series. Like if they go small, put a smaller guy on him, he's going to try to abuse that matchup, and he's so efficient. It's going to be it's going to be a good shot no matter what. So that's going to be an interesting matchup because not only does uh, putting Aiton on Giannis sort of hamper Giannis maybe potentially, but you're also like, oh, what's the result of that? Is that going to lead to even more efficient shots? It's, I mean, the mindset should be let's get the ball out of the best player's hands realistically, but you're also posing like problems as a consequence of doing so. So it'll just it'll be a really right. interesting chess match. Chess match to see what happens there.
0: Yeah, yeah. and two quick thoughts on that. One. The Bucks have gotten better as the playoffs have gone on. On when they see a crowder-sized or smaller player on Lopez, early and especially in the regular season, they would like get it to him like 18 feet away and have him post up. And that's awful. He's way too slow. He does not make the decision quickly enough. If he gets doubled, it's like almost a surefire turnover unless he just hits a silly shot. And he will hit silly shots, but they've been much better at like, okay, we're going to get you the ball four feet away. And you can dribble once or not dribble and just throw up a floater or whatever and you're right there. And that that's been much, much better. So hopefully when they do stick a small or hide a small on Lopez, the Bucks are continuing to like throw him lobs or get him in post position very, very close to the basket. The second quick thing, and this is something I noticed before Giannis's injury against Atlanta, you know, certainly Aiton's not the only good Suns defender. They have some great perimeter defenders, but as you mentioned, the one center, the one rim protector. Giannis had Capella on him a lot. And for a substantial part earlier in that series, like he drags Capella out of the paint and he's kind of just sizing up in the middle of the floor. And the Bucks were cutting from all over and just getting really good looks at the rim because if you get that first step and Capella's out of the paint, no one's really there to contest the shot. It's really hard for a perimeter player to help off of anyone and be able to defend that. So it will be interesting to see if Giannis can do better against Crowder and force the Aiton matchup if the Bucks do similar things. Of, it's almost like, it's not really, but like the old Kawhi salation when teams would just stick whoever Kawhi was guarding in the corner. It's like, let's get Giannis out of the paint and open up that space now that the big, terrifying Aiton isn't there for other players to be able to get to the basket. So it'll be interesting to see if we see much of that at all.
2: Yeah, that, that's interesting to think about, and I think that's where we would see, I guess from my perspective, where we would see the difference between the secondary perimeter defenders on the Hawks. Oh, yeah, the Suns, the Suns guys with, are so Mikhail much Bridges, better, no Jay question, Crowder. no question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I'll say this before we get going here. Um, I like the Bucks. <laughs> I like <laughs> their fans. I like you guys, and... Um, uh, every series, I think we've gone into it. This is kind of the way I felt about the Nuggets. I didn't leave that Nuggets series feeling any bad way about the Nuggets either. Um, I hate that it has to be you guys that are our enemies, um, uh, for, for this, uh, <laughs> this one. Um, but I think it's great. I think that in this, in this specific series, if, if the Suns win, obviously first championship ever, revenge for the coin flip, something we yep. didn't even talk about. Yep. Um, it, it would be amazing. If, if the Bucks end up winning, I would obviously be devastated in many, many ways. Happy for PJ Tucker. Happy for Giannis. Uh, once I go through the stages of grief, grief, I think I would probably get there. Um, but I appreciate that we get to go through this journey together. Blue Wire podcasts, uh, all of us with Blue Wire. Um, it's fun that we get to do this with you guys. I'm happy that you guys get to cover the finals. As well. I think maybe we should all take a moment just to plug our, our, maybe our Twitter accounts and our podcast real quick. since I know this is running on both of our, uh, feeds, if you guys want to go first.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll have to do series predictions after, but we'll make the people <laughs> sit through our self gratifying plugs first. Uh, I'm Ty at Ty Windish, T I W I N D I S C H on Twitter, one half of the Eurostep podcast, which is also found on Twitter at Eurostep podcast. That's G Y R O step an
2: allusion to Giannis. Uh, and The greatest podcast name, I think. Oh, agreed. I, uh, agreed. At least on our network. I, yeah.
0: We always tell people one day the content will be as good as <laughs> the name, and then we'll be like the number one podcast in the universe. But that's found on all podcast platforms as the Eurostep Podcast Network. We've aligned with our friends at the Win on Six podcast, teamed up, super team, covering the Bucks. So there are four of us you'll hear regularly on that feed, breaking down all things Bucks including a ton of collabs this postseason. But my Eurostep co-host, Rohan Kadi, take it away. Well, I mean, you,
3: you took everything else, so I guess I'll just plug myself. Uh, <laughs> I'm on Twitter at R K A T T I J R and that's that's it. You covered everything else.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm efficient. What can I say? I'm Chris Middleton in games <laughs> three through seven out here. Uh, uh,
2: you all right. go first, I, yeah. I can go. I, I'm Mike um you can find me at protected pick i'm um, the guy with the bag on his head that's what most people refer to me as our podcast is called the timeline of phoenix sun's podcast um at the timeline pod if you want to follow us on twitter we record after every game we've been doing that for the playoffs but usually at least once a week uh once it gets back to normal yeah uh, i'm yeah, sam,
1: ahead, sam uh at s cooper hoops on twitter i just want to take a chance and echo what mike was saying a minute ago i like the bucks i think this is a great series for the league um, I think we're still, uh, us four and, and the other Bucks fans I know on my feed. We're still gonna sling some shit at each other, uh, throughout the course of the series. Cause like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's all in good fun. Like, I like Denver fans too. I legitimately like everyone on that roster except maybe Compazzo. Um, but that didn't stop me. I mean, hey, <laughs> but, but that didn't stop, you know, like you guys remember the, uh, when Jokic was ejected for the hit on campaign. Like, that's not gonna stop me from being like, oh, fuck, Jokic, you know, like, I'm, you know, it's Twitter. <laughs> it's Twitter. It's Twitter. It's just Twitter. But, oh, uh, yeah. still, a-, a massive respect for that fan base, a massive respect for this one. And I think this is just a really great series. Let's be happy that it's not Lakers, Nets, or some boring shit like that for a second. So. Great job, guys. Looking forward to, to, to seeing your coverage throughout the series, too.
2: Ty, Ty, I know you want us to do predictions. I'll tell you right now, we don't we do not do predictions on our podcast. We try to stay away from them. If you want to rope us into them, I'd be willing to to do a prediction for you guys, though, if you'd like.
0: Yeah, you guys are just going to cut it off of your feed? Only on the Eurostep <laughs> feed? Um, no, I'd put it on. I'd put it yeah, on. yeah. Um, what do you think? I'd love to hear yours. Well, I mean, after they break the Bucks and Six curse last time, after B. Jennings had said it, they had never won a series in 6. Goes back to the 80s. I think New Jersey Nets was the last time they won in 6, way back when. Um we hoped it would be against Brooklyn. That would have been super cool, tie a knot, but oh well. Um got to stick with Bucks in 6. And I think it works kind of logically that, you know, Phoenix is is gets home court, wouldn't like to go to Phoenix for game 7 if we get that far. I would still believe enough just because, I mean, they won in Brooklyn. I think they could do it, but still one of the first three Phoenix games Protect five, serve, and you're there. So, got to go with Bucks and six, man. I'm going to say Bucks and seven. I'm going to say seven
3: you would. because it's going to be, if, I think this is going to be a very even series. I think both teams have ways to attack each other and sort of get at it. So, I think this is going to be a very even series. And I'm going to go Bucks and seven because uh, I'm part of a Bucks podcast. So, <laughs> if it's seven, I'm choosing Bucks. <laughs>
1: i'm gonna go Sam, i'm you gonna make? go suns and six i mean I, wow what a shock that the bucks guys pick the bucks and the suns guys pick the suns but um <laughs> I'll, I'll just say like i'm feeling in an all-time high with confidence in deandre ayton all-time high in confidence with monty williams i think this team's rolling and i think they've they've taken enough punches at this point for me to believe in their ability to to take a few more and go all the way it's not gonna be easy and I'm gonna reevaluate that a lot depending on how Giannis looks if he does play in game one that's gonna be very much like a game-to-game thing but I'm feeling oh, yeah. uh, I'm feeling Suns and six what about you Mike
2: I think I'll go Suns and six as well but I'll be 100% honest I'm about to make all the Bucks fans hate me my initial thought was Suns and five <laughs> I'll be 100% honest and I know you guys are gonna hate that and I know Bucks fans are gonna hate that but that was my initial thought about this series uh just because matchup wise and with Giannis's injury, uh, it just kind of makes me feel like that's the way it could potentially go. Um, but I think it could be—I I could go either way. Ultimately, this is why I don't do—we uh, <laughs> don't normally do predictions because ultimately, it makes basketball less fun. I like when unpredictable stuff happens, and I, I like to watch the games play out before I make any sort of observations. But uh, yeah, I'll just say Suns and Six for now. I'm not
0: that offended, like with if you're factoring in Giannis's condition and that. Not offended at all. The, your team you cover is very, very good. And Giannis is very, very good and very, very important. But uh, final thought for me, and I don't mean to be the hog in the final spot or final thought guy, <laughs> like if the Bucks start out 0-2, I mean I wouldn't believe obviously Bucks in six anymore, but I won't count them out unless they're down 3-0 or they've lost four games and the series is literally over. Like they've been <laughs> that kind of team, almost Clippers-esque. And I know the Suns have beat the Clippers – uh And if the Bucks don't have Giannis to end it, like the Clippers didn't have Kawhi or at all, you probably beat the Bucks too. <laughs> well, whatever. I, I just I weirdly trust the Bucks, and if you followed the Bucks for a while, you know why. That's just a wild thing to say. It's it, this has been a great postseason for both of our fan bases, and I think I agree. The lead, I think it's been awesome to see these teams shine. Devin Booker is so cool, man.
2: <laughs> Good luck, guys. It should be fun either way.
3: Regardless of how you, everyone I hear thinks that it's going to play out, this series is going to be a fun series no matter what it is, the NBA Finals. Before we do the outro, Ty, do we have a five-star review to be done?
0: We do, but I think we're. this is the last new one we have. I know Apple takes a couple of days to show them, so hopefully there's hundreds more about to pop up. But this is your moment, dear listener. Leave a five-star review on an Apple product rating and review. Get it right on the air. Weigh in. Like Alex's Llama did with the subject line Ajax the Shadow Hunter. No idea what that's about, but five stars, so we are reading it. Alex's Llama says, been a win in six and lockdown bucks listener for years, and just happened upon Eurostep this playoff run. I feel like it meshes the best aspects of LLB slash WI six into one nifty package. I am a big fan of the collaboration pods between it and win in six particularly Partially because of my years of loyalty slash listenership, and also because it invites different perspectives from Jordan and Adam. Ty and Rohan are hit and miss. Just kidding. They are insightful and funny enough to keep this neurotic dude through the emotional roller coaster that is being a Bucks fan. Keep it up. The subject line out of left field. The actual meat of the review, great. Inside jokes in there. The I know that's the, the, Bucks that's as the an best part. The emotional roller coaster. The, the yes. inside jokes are the best part, though yes
3: hidden and miss the only way you would understand that is if i don't even remember what episode it was it was uh, part of a different you time just, isn't real and nothing yeah, is real listen listen to all the pods you'll figure it out eventually uh, but yeah the inside jokes are fantastic ty like you mentioned leave a review so you can get it read on the air and plus it helps us out a lot and we really appreciate it and we've just appreciated all of the support we've been getting massive support lately and We really, we really truly do appreciate it, but we can wrap this up. Say thank you for listening to this episode of the Eurostep here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. If you did enjoy the show, make sure you are subscribed on your podcast platform of choice. And again, leave that five-star review so we can read it out on the air. Uh, Stay safe, everyone. Go Bucks! Check out all of the content across the network. Again, check out the timeline, guys. Uh, We will talk to you next time and go
0: Bucks!